Yeah, like Corey said, I'm the high school pastor right here at Bay Life Church. And just to give you a real quick snapshot of uh, me and my story, uh, man, I got saved when I was a junior in high school. I uh, had not had, owned a Bible, had not stepped a foot in church a day in my life until uh, a girl that I went to high school with invited me to Pastor Mark Saunders' high school youth group in Illinois, all right? And I heard the gospel for the first time through Pastor Mark's preaching, and that was 1993, and six months ago, I moved to Brandon, Florida uh, through the call of God, through the invitation of Pastor Mark and the elders, and so... Awesome to be here. Um, I'm married. I've been married to an awesome woman, Brittany, for 16 years now. We have four kids. They are seven twins that are five and a three-year-old. And it is uh, as crazy as it sounds, but it's, it's an, a blessing too. So, uh, so that's a bit about my story. Hey, like Corey said, I'm the high school pastor. And uh, before we dive in, um, here, here's my, my quick commercial. All right. High school ministry is an awesome opportunity to serve and impact lives. I've been doing high school ministry for about 12 years, and some of the most phenomenal leaders I've had in, in high school ministry that have just changed high school students' lives and futures through the grace of God took place from people just like you sitting in this room, okay? People that... Um, can connect pretty easily with high school students because you're not too far from them. Um, people maybe that don't have responsibilities, maybe of a lot of children and things like that, maybe have a little more time to connect with high school students. And so what an opportunity. I'd love to talk to any of you about the possibility of serving in high school ministry. And even in particular, we've got two mission trips this summer that we need a few, especially female leaders to go on. So Y'all pray about that tonight. <laughs> Feel free to talk to me, even if you have any questions or any interest at all about any of those things. Um, the glory of God, right? The glory of God. What an opportunity that is. All right. Hey, uh, a few weeks ago, I was, I was chilling at my house, like five minutes up the street here, and uh, I was out with, with my family. Um, we were hanging out in our front yard. There were a variety of activity, activities going on, such as uh, children playing basketball, children chasing lizards, uh, the shooting of bows and arrows, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff, right? That's how we roll. And so I'm out at my house, and I see walking around the neighborhood these two older gentlemen wearing shirts and ties and knocking on random doors, okay? And in my moment, I thought, here we go. Here we go. It's about to happen. And so I started to pray up, Right? And, and soon enough, the, the men with ties came uh, to our front yard, and they walked up to me, and uh, they said, hello, sir, um, we're Jehovah's Witnesses, and we'd love to share a little bit of information with you. And I was like, J-Dubs, what's up? Let's do this. You know what I'm saying? And so, I, not really, I wasn't really like that. But I said, sure, I'd love, to, I'd love to talk to you and hear a little bit about what you believe. All right? And so... I was wearing my, I'm kind of a basketball fiend, I was wearing my baller shorts, you know, and just kind of a grungy t-shirt, and certainly didn't look like probably your average churchgoer, and certainly not your average pastor, okay? So they probably didn't know exactly what was about to happen, um, and so I walked them to the end of my driveway and said, sure, I'd love to hear what you believe. And so, um, interestingly, one of the gentlemen got out his Bible that looks very similar 
to yours and, and my Bible, all right? Uh, the key word there is looks very similar. That's the key phrase. And he started to open his Bible to very familiar passages that you would be very familiar with as well. He started in Genesis and said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything was good. Um, but man chose sin rather than choosing God and sin entered the world and there was a problem. And man uh, was separated from God and man needed a savior. He couldn't save himself. And so then he flips to the New Testament to some passages in Romans and started uh, reading about how Jesus was the son of God and he came to die as a sacrifice for my sin. I don't know about you all, but I'm down with that at that point. You guys down with that at that point? And so he's, he's saying more and more stuff, and I know where this is going. Um, and so I try to be a little strategic, okay? And I don't want to show all my cards at once. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to be deceptive, but I'm trying to be strategic uh, to try to point these men to the truth. Again, for the glory of God. It's not about pride, right? It's not about, it's not about winning. It's not about who's right or who's wrong. It is about truth. Let us be men and women of truth. It's not about winning debates. It's not about winning arguments. It's let us be men and women of truth. And so I kind of stopped this gentleman, and I, I, was, I, was, I tried to be very kind and gracious the whole time. And I said, sir, that's great. I agree with, with everything you say so far. But let me ask you this question. Who do you say Jesus is? I think that's central to this whole conversation. Who do you believe Jesus is? And they said to me, we believe Jesus is the son of God. And they took me to a few passages that say Jesus is the son of God. I said, absolutely, absolutely. That's incredible, isn't it? And, and then I asked them, I believe he, I said, I believe he, he was and is the son of God as well. But do you believe that he is God? And they said, no, no, we don't. And in that moment, a debate broke out and it ended with me yelling very loudly by the time they left. And we'll get back to that story a little bit later. <laughs> All right? And so, there was, a there was a debate that day over who Jesus is. Not who he was, right? Who he is. There was a debate over who Jesus is. And that debate has been going on for thousands of years, right? It continues to this day and is maybe as intense as ever. And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage this morning. This evening, we're going to look at a passage from Scripture where the exact same thing is taking place. There is a debate over who Jesus is. And we're going to see Jesus taking the opportunity to speak for himself about who he truly is. All right, now as you guys know, there, there are a lot of different opinions about there about Jesus. Uh, a lot of different opinions from the various world religions, right? You've got the Buddhists, and, and these are generalizations here. Not every Buddhist or not everyone that I say will exactly believe this, but generalizations. The Buddhists believe Jesus was not God. He was an enlightened man, kind of like Buddha. You've got the Muslims. They believe that Jesus was not God. He was a man, a prophet, 
um, somewhat like Muhammad, yet inferior, okay? You've got the Mormons. They don't believe that Jesus is the God. They believe that he, he, he was a man who became one of many gods, and they believe that he is a polygamist. They believe that he is the half-brother of Satan, all right? Um, you've got the, the, the JWs, the J-dubs, as I like to call them. Um, they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe um, that he was the archangel Michael who became a man. All right, you've got the, the UUs. You all familiar with the UUs, Universal Unitarians? It's a, a world religion. It kind of falls into the category where they just accept everyone, right? A universalist, they're universalists. And they don't believe that Jesus uh, was God or is God. They believe simply that he is a great teacher, that he was a great man. Um, maybe falling into the category of Mr. Rogers, all right? You all know Mr. Rogers. Uh, maybe falling into the category of Bob Ross. You guys know who Bob Ross is? No? Afro, painting happy trees, right? You guys know what I'm talking? Okay, I'm old. So you guys can Google that later. YouTube at Bob Ross. He paints happy trees, and he teaches people how to paint happy trees. And so the UUs, they believe that maybe Jesus kind of falls in that category. He's a good teacher. He was a good man. Then you've got people like Madonna and Brad Pitt and Justin Bieber who apparently believe that Jesus is their homeboy. You know what I'm saying? They wear this t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Y'all seen it, right? Okay. So we've got all these different beliefs and opinions about who Jesus is. And uh, let me say this. I would, I would take a leap and say probably all of us in here have some of our own misconceptions about who Jesus is, okay? Let me give you an example. Here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to do anything weird to you. All I want you to do is, is close your eyes and get a picture of Jesus in your mind right now, all right? Close your eyes. Get a picture of Jesus in your mind right now. All right, you can open your eyes. Okay, you got to be honest here, okay? No shame, I fall into this category myself sometimes. How many people, when you close your eyes and you get a picture uh, of what Jesus looked like, you fall into the category of, of like automatically picturing Jesus to be like this white dude with brown eyes, right? But Caucasian Jesus. How many people fall into that category? Be honest, people. I do. When I first think of Jesus, that's what I picture, all right? So yeah, we picture him to be a white guy. But, but was that likely true, okay? One of my favorite, this sounds, this sounds heretical, but stick with me, all right? Um, one of my favorite Jesus memes, okay? Y'all aren't going to kick me out if I show you, am I? Here we go. The biggest miracle Jesus performed was being a white guy in the Middle East, <laughs> right? Like, it, it, he, wasn't, he wasn't Caucasian, right? He wasn't. A lot of us, we have this perception in our minds that that's what he, he looked like, but he was a Middle Eastern guy, right? His, his parents were Middle Eastern. Uh, well, his mom was, and his dad was, you know, God. But um, so, so maybe we have some of our own misconceptions. Leave that up there for a second. Um, this picture, I think, portrays another misconception of Jesus that we often have. Uh, I like to refer to it as the shampoo model Jesus. You all know what I'm saying? I mean, look at this dude. Look at how well-groomed he is right there. Like, he's living in a time where we do not have the Dollar Shave Club, 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we don't have head and shoulders. Like, these are not options. They're not able to just take a shower, like, any time they want, like we are. But we have this picture in our mind of Jesus being, like, this squeaky clean, like, shampoo model Jesus, right? Probably not the case at all. Okay, please take that off. Please take it off. And so, maybe we can be honest enough to say that maybe we have some misconceptions about who Jesus is as well. And so, tonight the hope is to allow Jesus to speak for himself. And so as you can tell on the screen, um, we're, we're just doing a little one-weeker here. Um, the title of the message is called I Am. I know Travis said uh, last week he spoke about Jesus uh, healing the paralytic as he was lowered through the roof. And uh, you guys are kind of in between two series right now. And so this is kind of some back-to-back weeks just talking about who Jesus is. And so um, to give us a little setup, probably as a lot of you know, that in the book of John, Jesus makes seven metaphorical statements Uh, describing himself by saying, I am. I am the the bread of life. I am the true vine. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? He gives these seven metaphorical statements um, declaring and describing who he is. And here, what we're going to look at tonight in John chapter 8 is is Jesus making this, this other I am statement that really is foundational to all the other statements. And if we think about just the book of John in general, um, why did John write this book. Why did John write this book? Obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but in John chapter 20, verse 30, we see very clearly, John just tells us why he, he, he wrote this book. He says, I write these things to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the son of God so that you may have eternal life. So John wrote this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we may read these verses that we may believe Jesus is God and that we may have life and have it eternal. And so the hope is tonight, man, may we believe in Jesus. May we believe in Jesus. And maybe you're here tonight and you said, man, I've, I've been believing in Jesus um, for a long time now. And so what, what's this got to do with me? I already believe in Jesus, right? But here's the thing. Um, one of my favorite quotes is by a dude named Oswald Chambers. And um, he says that our greatest need as Christians is not to do more things, it's to believe more things. It's to believe more things. And the more we believe about the majesty and the greatness of God and Jesus, the more we will worship him and the more we will begin to do things out of the overflow of our hearts And so, man, may you've been believing in Jesus for a long time. But my prayer for you tonight is may you believe more about the greatness and majesty of Jesus. And may it compel you to be a worshiper of him. So that's where we're going. That's the direction we're looking at. Y'all, we're looking at the screen. I could tell you the first, I could tell the first point was up there. Yeah, this is, this is kind of our main point of the night. Jesus is the great I am. Jesus is the great I am. Our response then is to believe in him to gain life. All right, let me hit you with just one little last thing before we dive into the word. Just a little bit of context about the passage that we're going to be jumping into. Um, We're going to be looking at John chapter 8, John chapter 5 through John chapter 10. Um, It it, it largely profiles Jesus's public ministry. Um, And throughout chapter 5 through chapter 10, there is this escalating conflict that's taking place between Jesus and the Jewish authorities, uh, largely the Pharisees. So this conflict is escalating and it's rising and it's rising, starting in chapter 5, going through chapter 10. 
and the, the, the Pharisees, they don't like Jesus, right? They, they begin to mock him. They begin to ridicule him. They want to kill him at this point, the passage we're going to be jumping into, because they think that Jesus is a liar. They don't agree with his teaching. It opposes what they teach, and so they want to kill him at this point. And so at the beginning of, ver- of chapter 8, the, this new conflict arises. And again, like I said before, a debate breaks out over who Jesus is. And it is important, I think, to point out, um, kind of like I said earlier when I was talking with the J-dubs, I didn't show all my cards right away, okay? And Jesus at this point, he hasn't really shown all of his cards at this point, right? He hasn't just really come out and just really made this absolute crystal clear statement that he is God. And so people are trying to figure out who he is and even who is he saying who, who is he saying he is at this point, okay? So he, he hasn't put his cards completely out on the table. But if you have a Bible and you want to turn with me, we're going to, we're going to start in, in John chapter 8. And I just want us to look at verse 48 for a second, and then we're going to skip down a few verses. But we see who these Jewish authorities, we see who they believe Jesus is at this point in the story as we jump into kind of the middle of this conflict. This is what it says in 48. The Jews answered him, talking about Jesus, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Aren't we right in saying that you, Jesus, you are demon-possessed? That's their claim. That's who they believe Jesus to be, a man that is demon-possessed. And I got to tell you, to their credit, it's a pretty logical argument. It's a pretty logical argument. Because at this point, they think that Jesus is claiming to be God from some things that he has said. They think that he's claiming to be God. And so therefore, their conclusion is he is not God. He is a demon-possessed man. And like I said, that's, a, that's really a pretty logical con- conclusion. Because if you think about it, Jesus really only leaves us with three options to believe who he is. Okay, some of you guys are maybe familiar with this, but uh, a brother named C.S. Lewis from a century ago, he articulated this really well in what has come to be known the Lord, liar, lunatic argument, right? He says, you can only believe three things about Jesus. There's only three things you can believe about him. Jesus clearly claimed that he is God. We're going to see that in our text tonight. He clearly claimed that he is God. So it only leaves you with three options to logically believe who he is. Either you believe that he is God, you believe that he is Lord, okay? Or you believe he is a liar. He is a man that knows he's not God, but he's deceiving people to try to make them believe he is God. So he's Lord, or he's liar, or he's a lunatic. He's a man who truly believes he is God, but he is crazy. He's really not God. He truly believes he is, but he is crazy, and he's not God. He's the equivalent of me standing before you tonight saying, I am a potato, right? That's like the equivalent. He's, he's crazy. And so he's Lord, he's liar, or he's a lunatic. He doesn't leave the option He does not leave the option of being a good man or a good teacher. He doesn't want to leave that option. It's illogical. If you don't believe Jesus is God, which he clearly claims to be, you can't say that he was a good man and a good teacher because a liar, no one would ever say that a liar is a good man, someone that's trying to constantly lie and deceive people, right? 
No one would ever say that that person is a good man or a good teacher um, or someone that is a lunatic. No one would ever say a, a person that, that believes this really whacked out, crazy, bizarre thing about themselves and is going around telling everyone that is a good teacher, right? Or even probably a good man. And so the option that we have before us is Lord, liar, or lunatic. And so all these other world religions that hold all these other positions, and probably many people that you'll find at your workplace, um, where you go to school, if you ask them who Jesus is or was, a lot of them will probably say, well, I believe that he was a good man, and I believe that he was a good teacher, but he certainly wasn't God. And what an opportunity for you right there in that moment, in love, not about winning, right? Not about being right or wrong, but saying, okay, I can, I can understand why you'd say that, but can I share something with you to help them come to the truth, to not leave them in an illogical position or perception about who Jesus is? You guys tracking with me on that? Okay, so I think the Pharisees at this point, they have a good point. They have a logical argument in saying that Jesus maybe is demon-possessed, like he is a liar. He is, he is um, someone who is against God at this point. And so uh, we could read the whole verses, but just to kind of summarize uh, what's taking place. So there's debate, there's argument taking place between Jesus and the Pharisees about who he is. And the Pharisees ask him the question, and they ask him if he believes he's greater than their father Abraham. And this is how Jesus responds in verse 56. This is Jesus talking. And he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And this is how they respond. Logical response in verse 57. They say, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Logical response, right? Jesus is saying um, that Abraham... He, he saw my day. He, he, he lived 2,000 years ago, but Jesus is saying that he saw my day. And the Pharisees respond like, you're crazy, right? Like, how could Abraham have seen your day? You're not even 50 years old, and Abraham walked on this earth 2,000 years ago. Like, how can you even say that? You, you weren't around then. You weren't alive then. You didn't exist then, Right? And here's Jesus' response in verse 58. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus here makes an absolute crystal clear statement that he is God. That he has always existed. That he exists now. And that he will always exist. It's so crystal clear. It's so crystal clear. I don't know how anyone can argue with the fact that he's not claiming to be God here. Even his enemies knew what he was claiming. Look what happens next. Look what happens in verse 59. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. It made them so furious and so angry that Jesus claimed to be God that they picked up stones to stone him because they believed he was committing blasphemy. So why did Jesus say, I am? And, and why did this make them so mad? Well, you guys probably know many of you, right? 
This is the name in Exodus, I think it's chapter 4, as God is speaking to Moses through the burning bush. And God tells Moses to go and to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses says, well, who should I tell them has sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. Tell them, I am sent you. It is the personal and holy of holiest names of God that he ascribes to himself. A name so holy that the Jews, they wouldn't even say it. They wouldn't even say the name. They wouldn't even write the name. They wouldn't even write it because they were so fearful that they would take the Lord's name in vain. And so they replace this name Yahweh basically with Adonai, Lord, instead. So they could say what they wanted to say without saying the holiest of holy names. And here Jesus, here this man, here this crazy person claims that he is the I am, the holiest of holies. And they were mad. And they wanted to kill him because he was claiming to be God. And how dare he do that? And so we ask ourselves the question, you know, of of all the things God could have said, um, why did he choose I am? And what exactly does that mean? Now, I'm not about to say that I know it all, okay, or exactly what God was thinking there. But I can tell you some of what he was was thinking there. And I can tell you some of what he meant. He's saying, I am. He's saying, I have always existed, I exist, and I will always exist. And so um, he is the I am. And before, before God created everything, it was him. I am, right? So here's what I want you to do to try to get a better picture of this. Um, just right now in this moment, and again, I know these are impossible things to do um, for sure, But I just want you to kind of close your eyes and get a picture um, of where God is right now and kind of what that looks like, okay? All right, open your eyes. Um, Someone tell me, like, where do you picture God to be? Anyone? Here, okay, good answer. I mean, probably, probably a lot of us, okay, and here is, is true, obviously, but like maybe without thinking about it too much, like we picture God to be like in the heavens, right? Certainly he is here. He's everywhere. We know that. He's omnipresent. <coughs> uh, excuse me. Um, but maybe that's where we picture God to be is, is in the heavens or here, and those are both true, right? Okay. Now think about this for a second. This is like extreme varsity level, like blow your mind up thing to think about. You know what I'm saying? Now, here's what I want us to think about. I I quoted Genesis chapter one, uh, verse one earlier. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So there was a time when God had not created anything. The heavens and the earth did not exist, okay? So now, Here's what I want you to do. Last time I'm going to ask you to do this, I promise, okay? Now I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about, before God created the heavens and the earth, try to picture where he was, okay? So everyone close your eyes right now. Before God created the heavens and the earth, anything, where was he? 
Okay, open your eyes. How many of you like, and again, I, I know it's an impossible question. Okay, I get it. But how, how many of you like picture whatever God looks like exactly, like floating around in black space kind of or something like that, right? Like a lot of us, that's what we're picturing. But here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. Black space did not exist. It did not exist. And so here's the answer to the question. Before God created anything, where was he? Are you ready? He was everywhere and he was nowhere at the same time. He was everywhere and he was nowhere at the same time. He was. Or as God would say, I am. Boom. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that is so far beyond our ability to comprehend it. Um, but man, if you're a reader, and I know that Travis would support this author, so I'll throw it out there because I, don't, I wouldn't do that to, to him and his ministry. But uh, A.W. Tozer, man, he is a phenomenal writer that can take these huge mind-boggling um, truths and put them in a way that helps us to understand. So I want to, re- I want to read you just a few quotes from A.W. Tozer about this very topic to help us get our minds around it a little bit better. This is what A.W. Tozer says. Um, He says, Jesus is the great I am, not the great I was. This statement's just crazy. In God, there is no was or will, but a continuous and unbroken is. There is no was for God. There is no will for God. It's a continuous and unbroken is. He says, in him... History and prophecy are the same. They're the same. He's already lived all of our tomorrows. And he has lived all of our yesterdays. He is, right? Another quote by Tozer. He says that God appears at time's beginning because God created time, right? That God appears at time's beginning is not too difficult to understand. But that he appears at both the beginning of time And the end of time at the same time is not so easy to comprehend, right? He is. That's how he ends the quote. He is. And so the reality is God, the reality is Jesus, um, he lives outside of time. And so when he looks at our world, he doesn't see it as we see it necessarily moment by moment, day by day, minute by minute. When God looks at the world, however he looks at the world, when God sees the world at the exact same time, he sees Abraham, he sees Jesus, he sees Moses, he sees you, he sees your great, 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 great grandchildren all at the same time. There is no was, there is no will, It's a continuous, unbroken is. He is, right? He is. And so Jesus is the great I am. He is God. There's never been a time he hasn't existed or when he wasn't God. Um, Jesus has been and always will be God. And life is found in believing in him. 
Life is found in believing in him. Life is found in believing uh, that Jesus was God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross as a substitution and as a sacrifice for your and my sin, that three days later he rose from the dead conquering sin and sickness and death. And so we believe in him and it gives us life. Very clearly from the word of God, we see Romans 10, 9. If we confess with our mouth, if we say with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and we believe, there's the word, right? We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And so men and women sitting here tonight, um, if you have never believed in Jesus, if you have never confessed that he is your Lord and believed in your heart that God has raised uh, him from the dead, I encourage you tonight to prayerfully consider uh, believing in Jesus so that you may have life and have life eternal. And so, what about the J-dubs, right? What about the, the J-dubs? What, what exactly did, did they believe that day? And, and how did that conversation go? And so, these men, as I said, they told, they, they, they told me that they believed he's the son of God but that he is not God. And they started walking me through some passages saying that, that showing clearly that Jesus even claimed that he's the son of God. And I said, yes, yes, how incredible is that? And I probably shouldn't have done this, but I said, can you turn to, to John chapter eight in your Bible, sir? And he turned to John chapter eight. And, and I said, would you please read to me John chapter eight, verse 58? And I was surprised, but his Bible said, before Abraham was born, I am. And he read that, and I seriously have this look on my face. <laughs> like, seriously, I did. I was like, can you believe that? Can you believe what Jesus just said? Men, I have no doubt that you know the name that God gave himself in Exodus chapter 4 was I am. And you know it was the holiest and most personal name of God. And who does Jesus say he is? He says, I am. He says he is clearly God. And they say, oh, no, that, that's, not, that's not what he meant there. That's not what he's saying. And I said, I'm, are you sure? Would you read verse 59 for me? The, the Pharisees at this point, they picked up stones and they tried to kill him. And I said, man, why were they so angry? Why did they want to kill him? Because they knew that he just ascribed to himself the holiest name of God, and they wanted to kill him. And they tried to rabbit trail the conversation and take it a completely different way. And I said, sir, um, and I got out my phone, and I said, I'd like to read a verse to you. So I get out my phone and, like, pull my Bible up, you know, and, like, at this point, they're like, okay, the dude has the Bible on his phone right? Like showing my cards a little bit there, right? And so I, I turn to Matthew chapter 8, and it talks about Jesus has, has resurrected, and he appears before his disciples. And it's a crazy verse that says, um, it says that he appeared before them, and, and some doubt, it says that they worshiped him, and some doubted, is what it says, okay? And I said, did you hear what it said there? Some worshiped him. Some worshiped him. And what did Jesus do? He received that worship. He received that worship. There's no doubt that Jesus knew the Ten Commandments, that he knew that we are to worship no one but our God. Jesus knew that. 
And if Jesus didn't believe he was God, he would have said, stop. Just like the apostle Paul does one time, right? They try to worship Paul and he says, stop. We're to worship no one but God. But Jesus doesn't do that. He receives that worship. And it happens multiple times throughout the the scripture. Doubting Thomas, when he puts his, his fingers in his wounds, he says, my Lord and my God. And he worshiped him. And Jesus received that worship. And they opened their Bible. And he turns to Matthew chapter 28. He says, well, your Bible has been translated incorrectly. Let me read it to you. And it doesn't say worship. It says, it says something else that doesn't mean worship. And at this point, I was ready to put my cards on the table. All right? And I said, again, in, in trying to be a very kind and loving, not like show-offy kind of way, I said, sir, I have been blessed to spend many hours studying the original languages of the Bible. And the Greek word right there is proskuno. And it means worship. It means worship everywhere that it is used in the Bible. It means worship. And at this point, they were like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. They had nothing. They had nothing on that. And again, in love, I I said, men, I'm thankful that you showed up on my door today because you believe with great conviction what you believe. And you love me. And and because of that, you showed up on my door to share what you believe to be true with me. And that's bold. And honestly, I'm thankful that, that you're willing to act on your convictions. But let me tell you in love what I believe. I believe that you are like the men who Jesus stood before. Some worshiped and some doubted. And you stand before me as men who are doubting the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And in my understanding of the holy word of God, the Jesus you believe in is not a Jesus that can save you from your sin. And so I urge you, I urge you to look to the holy word of God and allow the truth to speak to your heart, not simply what you've been taught or told for all of these years. And I was a little bit passionate when I was sharing it, right? And so I said I was yelling. I was. I was like, God is incredible. He's so amazing. So I wasn't yelling at them, but I was just yelling about God is so amazing and he's so incredible. And so um, I got the opportunity to pray for them. And and they walked away and we agreed to disagree at this point. But I hope and pray um, that the spoken word of God, the truth, uh, was planted in their heart that day. And so I pray that they would believe like all of us, uh, that they would believe uh, in this Jesus so that they may have life. And so um, just to kind of switch gears a little bit, just so we have the full picture, and uh, this, this won't be nearly as long, but just to make sure we have a full picture about who Jesus is. Fully God, absolutely. Unlike us, he is God. He is has always existed and always will exist. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He is unlike us and that he is God. But he is also man. And he is also exactly like us in many, many ways, right? Fully God, fully man. Let's make sure we're, we're real clear about that, right? Not half God, half man, 
right? He's not the Arnold Palmer Jesus. You guys know what I'm saying? He's not half tea, half lemonade. He's not half man, half God. Fully man. Fully God. Fully man. Jesus, he had a mother, just like you and me. He was born of a woman. Um, he had a dad, a stepdad. He had siblings. He had friends that he loved. He loved his mom. He loved his dad. He had a job, right? He got fatigued. He got thirsty. He got hungry. He had emotions. He felt sad at times. He felt joy at times. He felt betrayed at times. He felt lonely at times. He cried. He worshiped God, right? The Bible says that he grew in obedience and he, he, he was a man. He was a man just like you and me. And here's what's so incredible about that. Um, here's what's so incredible about that. Because Jesus was fully, because Jesus is fully God and fully man, he can both sympathize with your struggles and deliver you from them. He can both sympathize with your struggles and deliver you from them. Because we know, right, Hebrews chapter 4, it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize us, but one that has been tempted in every way, but was without sin. And so the word of God tells us to approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. He can sympathize with you, and he can deliver you from your sin. And so I have no doubt there are great needs and great hurts in this room. And the word of God is encouraging you tonight to know that Jesus can sympathize with you. He knows your hurt. He knows your pain, not in a figurative way, in a literal way. He knows your hurts and he knows your pain and, and, and take them to him. And he can give you grace and mercy to deliver you from them. And so just one last question, one last thought to wrap us up here. We think about, like, why did Jesus come? Like, why, why did Jesus come fully God, fully man? Like, what's, what's the deal with that, right? Well, obviously, we know that so we can believe in him and so that we may have life. Um, but for us to have forgiveness of sins and to be reconciled with God, see, it, it had to be. It had to be the God-man. It had to be the God-man. This, this is one, of, I've said this several times tonight already. This, this, this is one of my favorite quotes of all time, all right? And of, of all places, it, it came to me, um, my wife's 85-year-old grandfather posted this on Facebook, okay? How epic is that, right? It's from an old, all he said was from an old Bible dictionary is what he said. Allow yourself to be awed by this. It said, because of sin, Someone had to suffer, and God's wrath had to be satisfied, okay? Because of sin, someone had to suffer, and God's wrath had to be satisfied. Here we go. Man could suffer, but he could not satisfy. God could satisfy, but he could not suffer. Are you ready? But Jesus, being both man and God, could both satisfy and suffer. Boom. The God-man. The God-man. He can deliver us from our sin. He and he alone. So my hope and prayer for all of us, may we believe more about the greatness of this eternal God. 
And, and may we go to him with our struggles and may we receive the grace and mercy that he alone can give us to comfort us in our time of need. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, what a gift your word is. It speaks so clearly and so powerfully to us. Um, Lord, may we never simply see your word as a list of do's and don'ts, but may we see it as the, the true revelation of who you are and how great you are. And may we approach your word to learn more of your greatness And may that compel us to do the do's and not do the don'ts. You've given us your word to teach us who you are. And and Jesus has spoken so clearly to us tonight. He is God. He is God. And he has died for us so that we can be redeemed. So that we can be your sons and daughters. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for us tonight. May we, be, may we be encouraged. May we be encouraged about how great you are and how great your love is for us displayed on the cross. May we remember in this moment just that, that our salvation did not come at a cost, but it came at the greatest cost imaginable. Our sin was so great, it demanded a payment that was infinite, which shows, God, that your love for us is so great, you're willing to give the the infinite payment to call us your own and to restore us to you. And so as we transition to this time of communion, Lord, may we take a moment to be in awe of who you are and what you've done for us. And may we respond in our hearts with gratitude, with thanksgiving, with joy, with peace, and with worship. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.